Welcome to In Between. At the moment, I'm like walking through a place like a district in Delhi, like a neighborhood in Delhi, which is called Humayunpur. And in this neighborhood, a lot of people from the northeast of India are living. And it's a, it's a place I like to come a lot because there are many really good restaurants and there are many interesting fashion boutiques. And the whole place has a very interesting vibe, which is very different from the rest of the city for some reason so um, the northeast of India again is culturally again very different than the north like the Hindi belt in which I am usually moving around because uh, people say that this, these are more tribal societies so a lot of people are not Hindu but they have other religions they have other languages states which are there like uh, Manipur Assam Nagaland and they already border to countries like Bhutan and uh, Myanmar and also have a culture which is closer to yeah to these countries and there are a lot of interesting things about the northeast so the food is really different and you get all of these different foods food items uh, in this neighborhood so there are more things which are more like kimchi kind of style more fish things even more the more meat, more pork, and I think there would be even probably beef. So there's a lot of things. And also people say that in the Northeast, women have a bit of a different position. So they are more, they do more things like on their own, like their, their position is a bit better than in the North of India. And you already noticed that, that a lot of shops in Humayunpur are run by women something which you don't really see so often in the north of India so a lot of things are different and yeah the food is good the whole localities are nice and interesting it's just the different vibes and all the shops where you can buy all these specific northeastern items and uh, also a lot of Tibetan food there so it's a neighborhood I really like and I think that keeps fascinating me about Delhi also that uh it seems so much like a place where you, in, in such a high concentration, you can like find so many, like find so, see so much of the cultural diversity which India has. So there are many more neighborhoods of different communities and people from different states or language groups or whatever, which you can go to just in Delhi. You don't have to leave Delhi, but still you see so much of this cultural diversity. And I just really love that. For example, there is a small Kashmiri market where you can get like a lot of Kashmiri people are there. You can get Kashmiri kawa, like a really good Kashmiri tea. There is a place close to the National School of Drama where a lot of people from South India, especially Telugu speaking people, sell some South Indian items like banana chips and all kinds of very South Indian things. And you can... Uh, yeah, you can go there. There is Machnukatila, which is a Tibetan colony where you can buy really good scarves and uh, eat really good Tibetan food. Or there's a Bengali market, like a Bengali colony where you can eat fish curry and where you can have Bengali sweets. And for me, it's so interesting how in these small places or neighborhoods, then all these people gather, which come from that special place to... I don't know, to speak their language, to have their local foods and maybe also just to connect like now that they're in this big city, which is different. And I think that also makes the character of Delhi in so many ways that they're like, it's really all this cultural diversity seems to be concentrated in this city. And uh, 
yeah, for someone like me, this is just so fascinating. Then I want to tell a small anecdote, which I haven't told you. So a few episodes ago, I told you about this bike trip to Rajasthan. And on that bike trip, something happened, which I haven't told you yet, because I wanted to see how it's going <laughs> to develop. So um, while we were driving back to Jaipur, uh, for some reason, I was stupid enough to put my heel on the silencer, but I didn't notice that. So Because we had the luggage tied to the bike in a way that I had to sit a bit like not completely straight, a bit more to one side and it was kind of uncomfortable. And I think somehow like that, I slowly switched my heel more back until it touched the silencer and I didn't notice. We were like driving on the highway with like 60 kilometers per hour and eventually we stopped because there were some really nice uh, fields and we wanted to take a picture like so nice that there should be like <laughs> like mustard fields like all yellow and um you expected a bollywood film to be shot there any moment and uh when i got off the bike i realized oh wait a minute like my whole heel has melted because the shoes i was wearing are like some black boots but they are rather cheap and they have a they are not leather or something they were like <laughs> plastic probably And the whole heel had melted and it had left a really nasty stain, black stain also on the on the silencer of the bike. And I was so sorry. And uh, yeah, how could I be so stupid? No idea. And I didn't realize it at all. So when we got to Jaipur, I bought some new shoes that I have something to wear right now at least. And uh, we went into one shoe shop and there was this really old guy and he was so immersed in his work, like he barely looked up to talk to us. And then we asked him if he can fix it. And he said, yeah, he can, but he needs three days. And we were like, hmm, tomorrow we actually plan to be back in Delhi. What should we do? And eventually I left the shoes with him. I paid him some 600 rupees. That's not even $10. And uh, and he said he will replace the heel and on both shoes so that they fit together and then sent the shoes back to Delhi. And I was like, oh, let's see if this is going to happen, <laughs> if they will ever get to Delhi. But uh, then, I think a week later, I got a notice that at the courier place, a package has arrived. And I took another friend with me to find the courier because it's like in some alleys and it was really difficult, in some basement, and it was really difficult to find. And we went there together and he actually sent the shoes. They were beautifully repaired and uh, also... What was really cute is like he offered to send us back 200 rupees because he said like he didn't fix it in the way he thought he would fix it. So he took too much money from us. And I was so like, I expected them to maybe cheat us, you know, and never send the shoes back and just keep the money. But what was happening was like the complete opposite. And that was like, yeah, that was like really nice. And well, then I received the package. I unpacked the shoes and something funny happened there. So... I Im immediately wanted to change my shoes because the ones I had on were not really good. So I put my handbag on the floor and put the package on the floor and started to open it. And I wanted to change my shoes. And I myself squatted down on the floor. And the friend who was with me, he was like, what the hell are you doing? It's dirty here. Like, blah, Tanya, you're so disgusting. I'm like, what? And uh, then like a conversation I had so many times with Indian friends, which I find so interesting. And I keep having like little discussions and fights and we're pulling each other's legs. So for some reason, a lot of my Indian friends seem to think that the floor is like really dirty and uh, polluting or I don't know what. Like their concept of the floor is very different. So that, for example, when we are in a restaurant or something, 
I can, if I put my handbag or if I usually walk around with my backpack and it's really heavy and they're like, it has to be on a separate chair. It cannot just be on the floor because there it's dirty. <laughs> when I have a longer, I have like this longer coat and sometimes I squat on the floor and uh, do something or whatever. They're like, oh my God, are you mopping the floor with your coat or what? Like it's so disgusting. And it's always like how the floor is dirty and you shouldn't put anything, any item of clothing or any backpack there and uh, it's so interesting that for me then I asked them but as kids did you never play on the floor I mean they were like yeah but there where it's clean <laughs> and I'm like but I don't feel like, and I was like but at home I always put my backpack on the floor and say like yeah but the floor is cleaner in Europe and I'm like no it's not cleaner it's like I would be more scared to like eat something in eat something in India and then maybe getting sick than getting some bacteria from the floor and uh, that's very interesting so somehow the concept of the floor is very different in my Indian friends heads way more dirty than it's in, in my head and something about it is really interesting and also at this occasion again when we went to pick up the shoes like that came in again and I I'm just really finding it also social anthropologically interesting so I would like to know like how how this developed or in what is it connected to and in what way is that concept so different I would really like to know. Then another small collection of anecdotes, which I would um, title uh, unthinkable, because sometimes a lot of things happen to me which would be unthinkable back home in Switzerland, but they have become so normal for me in India or I have gotten used to them. Like, for example, the other day I was like on the phone with someone from Switzerland and I was like walking and then I came to the place where all the rickshaw drivers were waiting. So I was like, hey, wait a minute. And then I had um, like I was haggling with the rickshaw drivers and was telling them like, no, no, this is too much. I'm not taking this. I'm only paying this. No, this is wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I was like kind of yeah, not fighting, but a little bit rude, but from living in Delhi for a longer time I know that you have to be a little bit rude and have to fight a little bit else people will always cheat you on a lot of money especially me <laughs> and uh, then I got back on the phone I was like he was like wow that was like a completely different Tanya and I was like yeah it's true because this it probably sounded quite rude and I would never talk so rude in Switzerland because it's culturally you just couldn't do that and it's like yeah it's it's very interesting yeah, in general, I feel like in the Hindi language, the imperative is used a lot. So there also has something that you command people around a lot. In a way, you wouldn't do it in German. And I sometimes forget that and then do it in German and it irritates people. <laughs> and uh, yeah, another thing is, for example, the other day I was like eating and we had ordered a lot of food with friends and we were sharing all the dishes. And I had like I was like telling a story and I had like my hand in the in the plate of someone else getting my food out of there and then in my mind for a second I stopped I was like wow this would be unthinkable at home and then I carried on and these moments somehow are still kind of precious I don't know another thing of course is the thing with the chairs right when they're like I don't know in Switzerland if you would sit in a restaurant and you would occupy three chairs with your bags and your helmet so you don't have to put them on the dirty floor and that would be very rude there's like some sense of entitlement in there and because I feel like at home like them the major aim is to not make anyone around you uncomfortable if possible don't disturb anyone don't make anyone uncomfortable and here I've in the beginning, for me, this was so hard. I was like, wow, this is so rude. We cannot do that. And I was all the time, like, I was so stressed whenever, like, friends would do that. 
and by now I, I've gotten used to it, but it's like, I don't know, it's really strange. And I, I don't think all Indian people do that. I wouldn't want to generalize, but there is like a lot of my friends are doing this and I realized how now I'm more relaxed, I'm used to it, but earlier I thought, wow, this was so difficult. And uh, uh, <laughs> the other day I was in the car in a traffic jam with a friend and uh, then there was another car and that car that driver was constantly honking like he was he wouldn't put his hand off the honk basically and then everyone kind of made space and he i don't know he managed to slip through the, the traffic jam and we were laughing about it i mean in generally in traffic in india like honking seems to be a way of a way of communicating while at home it's like a I don't know, you only hunk if someone is doing a really, really terrible mistake and you want to let the other person know, like, what the fuck, or this is dangerous. Or if a football match, a soccer match has been won. <laughs> but then when that happened, that friend asked me, would that ever happen in your country? And I had to laugh so hard because I was like, I can't even transfer the mental images I have right now of Swiss traffic to you, where Swiss traffic is very silent there's no honking there's like and the idea that someone just don't take his hand off the honk and just drive through the streets is like it's impossible to like i could never explain to him how funny that was to me like to imagine that right now i'm in a rickshaw and uh, what you're hearing in the background is <laughs> the noise of a big truck which is in front of us and the truck is like basically part of an election campaign because i recognize the song it's full and full with people and there are people hanging on the truck there's loud music and i recognize this music because it's the campaigning song of one of kate Shival one of the people uh, campaigning at the moment in the Delhi elections. And uh, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. It, it seems like some street parade car or something. Uh, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about the elections in Delhi because this whole phenomena and the way of voting works so differently. So, for example, there is Kejriwal. There's one person who has created like a, a song, a campaign song. And like every morning <laughs> close to my house there... A car drives by playing that song or uh, there's also a BJP car, that's the other party, a BJP car in the neighborhood with flags and there's also go some campaigning going on there. And I have the feeling that a lot of working class people are voting for Kejriwal from the um, Admi party and uh, they also, like uh, there is a lot of gatherings of these people where they have flags and their speeches and uh, that has been going on now for I think minimum a month or probably more I don't know there are many more interesting things like for example on the weekend of the voting uh, it was a friend's birthday and I took another friend the two of us we tried to wanted to buy a bottle of wine for him and then we went into the supermarket and then there was like the whole wine section was like covered and there was like some white card indicating something and my friend was like oh no how could I forget and I'm like what what and then I read on it uh, dry day I was like dry day 
And uh, apparently, so when there's elections or, or on the weekend of voting in a state, there cannot be, alcohol can't be sold. Or for example, also on religious festivities like on Gandhi's birthday and so on. Therefore, the day is dry. Apparently, one reason is to, of course, to minimize conflict around, like conflict and fights and all around the elections so that if people drink less, then there will also be less fights. But apparently, another reason is because... Uh, in the past, parties have bought alcohol and then distributed it to people for their votes so that this cannot happen. <laughs> this is apparently also a reason, like very interesting. So there was no wine on that evening. <laughs> and uh, another interesting thing is also that the state borders close on that day. I don't really know why, but uh, on the day of the voting and also the voting itself, like from Switzerland, I'm so used that Whenever we don't really ha we have elections or something, you have like weeks and you submit your election, like your vote by mail. And only if you're really late, if you haven't voted in all these weeks and the issue is really important to you or like the person, that, that thing is really important to you, then you would get up early morning on a Sunday to go to the actual voting place and place your vote. But I usually have a lot of time, but that's not the case in Delhi like or in India because... There's like a specific weekend and then you have to vote in the place where you're registered. But a lot of people live in Delhi but are registered in some other state. So they couldn't even vote or they wouldn't go home for that. And then uh, you have to go to the voting booth. And on that weekend, I noticed that a lot of people had like a like some black mark on the fingernail of their index finger. And I was like, what is this? And eventually I was like, so many people have that. And I then they told me like, yeah, the, that's a sign that you voted. And apparently like the ink is a special mixture. So it doesn't go away for a few weeks. So also this whole system, like how these systems are different. It's so interesting. Then I want to talk a bit more about the topic. As I already indicated, I wanted to meet more people to talk about dating apps. And I actually did. I met a couple who has met on a dating app and is now married. It was very interesting though. I was first in contact with her and then she said, oh, I'm going to bring my husband along. And I was like, oh, but are you sure? I mean, we're going to talk about all your dating experiences. Are you sure you want to talk about that in front of your husband? And she was like, yeah, for sure. And when I then actually met them, I was like, okay, now I understand because they were, I found them very inspirational, like as a couple, because they were so open they knew everything about each other's past affairs and histories and whatever. And they were so comfortable talking about it and so comfortable with each other. I really found that inspiring. And also their story was interesting, like how they are from completely different cities and how they ended up marrying, how a chat which started as a time pass, as people say all the time, dating apps are time pass, and then basically ended in this so two people who would have else never met like these dating apps made it possible and yeah we talked a lot there were so many stories and so many new angles which they actually gave to me or the fact that their family still don't know that they met over a dating app but they have invented another story and I think a lot of people still do that in India I don't exactly know because maybe there is some stigma attached to it very likely and uh, yeah we talked a lot and it was really it was really good and presented me with a lot of new angers. But somehow I still feel, although everyone is saying like, oh, dating app is the best topic and all of that, 
somehow I feel I am still just not able to know what exactly I'm interested in because I know I'm not interested in the apps and the technology. I'm more interested in the people. But then again, I'm more interested in relationships and lives and life drafts or whatever. So that somehow I feel that maybe dating apps wouldn't be the right topic to look at what I'm interested in or maybe it would spiral into nothingness with a lot of hookup stories. So somehow I'm not able to piecing the puzzle together Although everyone feels like this is the topic, but that's my feeling so far. Then uh, after I met these people, like I came uh, to one of my friends and there were already other friends there. And then we were talking and I told them a bit about my day. And then they said, uh, you know, Tanya, you are always like, um, there seems to be another topic which you try to smuggle in into all your formal topics and uh, you always come up with this same topic again all the time. And uh, one friend like summarized it really nicely. Like he said, like, uh, basically what you're interested in is like, where are you in your own life? Because I tell them a lot, like I talk with my friends a lot about things which irritate me. And for some reason, like I keep being irritated by the fact that like self-expression has such a different role in Switzerland than it has in India. So for example, like, if you ask me about my job, then it's like, wow, my job says something about me because I am my job. My my interest is my job or more so with my hobbies. Like it's everything is like part of self-expression. And there are moments when I feel like with my Indian friends, if I ask them like, uh, okay, so what about your job? Like, why did you choose this job? Then they say like, oh, oh it was a prestige it's a prestigious job or I was really good in maths or well engineer you just become an engineer or my parents wanted this or whatever and it's like again I'm already feeling like but where are you <laughs> in this job and then usually I try to talk okay so then what are your hobbies as I pointed out before there are not so many hobbies and as I also told you before like one of my Indian friends who keeps saying like you guys all of you guys in Switzerland, you you define yourself so much over your hobbies. And uh, yeah, or then when I'm asking, like, what are you passionate about? Like, where are you in your own life? And there are moments when like some Indian lives feel really a little bit empty to me. And uh, yeah, it's it's strange. It's a... Uh, it's a phenomenon, I cannot really describe it, but it keeps creeping back and interesting me and somehow how self-expression works so differently. And yeah, a little bit I'm enjoying like this format of the podcast where I can just think about these thoughts and progress out loud without having to, I don't know, deliver something which is already completely thought through because I can just uh, hear myself talking and see how I feel about it when I hear, when I like actually voice what I'm thinking but this is just one thought which keeps coming back then at the very end I want to talk about one more place which was on my list so I keep reading about interesting places and then I really want to go and visit them and uh, about that place I've been reading so much so it's uh, it's also a Sufi Darga but it's dedicated to a female Sufi saint so her name is uh, Bibi Fatima Sam Darga I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. And uh, what I read about it was like that it's one of the cleanest and uh, quietest, most beautiful Sufi places that you can go to uh, in Delhi. And uh, it really was like this. Like when I went there, like first you like drive through these neighborhoods and they are like very 
green and very quiet. You hear the birds, they're like super beautiful. And uh, then when I reached Adagat, outside of it, there were like two Muslim men, like in long robes, sitting on the floor on like a, on a towel. And they had, uh, they had, they were smoking shisha or hookah, however you want to call it, and having chai and chatting. It was already like a very beautiful picture. And then I like washed my hand, hands and feet there, like the way you have to do it. And there was like a younger couple also there. And then uh, uh, <laughs> the older guy, like the older, one of the two old men, he said to her, like, oh, is the water cold? I see you're freezing. She was like, yeah, yeah, haven't you installed the geyser yet here? And then both of them were laughing. And then she asked them, so, oh, I wanted to ask you, whom did you vote for? And then, uh, yeah, he told them about uh, Kejriwal and how he thinks Kejriwal should be should win the elections and so on. They talked a bit about that and it was yeah, interesting for me to be to listen to this con this conversation and then also later get part of it. So that was already interesting. And then I stepped into the actual Darga and normally in uh, Sufi Dargas which are dedicated to men, you're not allowed to go into the very central piece of it. But uh here we were allowed and uh, because she's female so I was allowed and it's there's not something very special to see there, but it's uh, very, I don't know, like the whole energy of the place was somehow really beautiful, like really, really pure and really clean and really quiet and relaxed. So it's, I don't know, it felt like some purification or something. And also I tried to read up a little bit on that saint, but there is not a lot which is known about her. But people know that she was very down to earth, even though she was some kind of a saint and she was very, she had an open ear for everyone always and had an advice for everyone always who, who was seeking advice. So I don't know, somehow this very pure energy was still there in that place and finding such a place in the middle of Delhi is like, it's like a little miracle and it was uh, definitely worth it. <laughs> 